when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. After a tense final stage of shortlisting, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss will go head to head to be the next Tory party leader and Britain's next prime minister. There were two spoiled ballot papers. The numbers of votes cast for each candidate is as follows. Uh, Mordaunt, 105. Sunak, 137. Truss, 113. Therefore, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss will be the candidates going forward to a final ballot of Conservative Party members. Welcome to Payne's Politics, your essential insider guide to Westminster from the Financial Times, with me, Sebastian Payne. This week, we'll be looking at the two contenders to be the next Conservative leader. First up, political editor George Parker and associate editor Stephen Bush will be looking at Rishi Sunak and whether the former Chancellor, who is the most popular choice amongst MPs, can make enough headway in the wider Conservative Party. And later, our economics editor Chris Giles will be examining Liz Truss with special guest Katie Balls from The Spectator magazine. The Foreign Secretary is the favourite among Tory members to be the next leader, but do her economic pledges stand up? We'll get in all that soon. Thank you all for joining the pod. Rishi Sunak was the first candidate to launch his bid to lead the Conservative Party two weeks ago and has been the frontrunner among MPs ever since. Throughout the five shortlisting rounds, he's come first each time. His pitch has been slick and assured, too much so at times, and there's no guarantee he's going to win. According to the latest polling, Sunak is 24 points behind the selectorate that matters, Tory members. He faces an uphill challenge in convincing his colleagues beyond Westminster that he's the best person to lead the country. Speaking to the BBC, Sunak got to the crux of his pitch. He is the best candidate place to win the next election. The question now for our members is, who is the best person to defeat Keir Starmer and the Labour Party at the next election? I believe I'm the only candidate who can do that. And my values are also those of our members. And I've got the experience and the vision to translate those values into a government that delivers for the British people and ensures that this is the best country to live, work and raise a family anywhere in the world. George Parker, welcome back to the pod. So let's just begin with that shortlisting. It was actually quite tense until the last moment. And had five MPs voted the other way, it would be Sunak versus Penny Morden, the trade minister. And that would be a very different race. Yeah, it would have been a totally different dynamic. And the Tory right would have been extremely disappointed had it been a runoff between Sunak and Penny Morden. And in the end, I think what you saw was the coalescing of the Tory right behind Liz Truss, particularly after Kemi Badenoch was eliminated. And that gave this trust the momentum she needed just to pit Penny Morden to the line. But it was, as you say, Seb, a really close run thing. And I was in committee room 14 where lots of Tory party dramas have unfolded over the many years I've been covering Westminster. And it was, you know, it's right up to the last moment, a real cliffhanger about whether 
this trust would do it. But I think the important thing to say about this trust is that she did develop momentum in the final days of the campaign, which had been sorely missing earlier on. Well, Stephen Bush, it's a joy to have you back with us this week. Let's look at Rishi Sunak. So as I said, he came top of the MP shortlisting round every time. But ever since the race has begun, he's been behind with Tory party members. Fundamentally, why is that? There's not the maddening thing about these polls, isn't there? There are lots of them, but we don't actually have very great deal of information about why they are making this decision. It looks like it's the only thing that they've really polled them on about what they think about the candidates and the underlying issue is trust. Now, whether or not Rishi Sunak's issues with trust among the membership are because he is seen as having played a vital role in bringing down Boris Johnson or because of the issues about his wife's non-domiciled tax status, we don't really know. But the underlying problem appears to be that members don't trust him very much. Now, these polls, as you said, We're not quite sure of the methodology and Tory party members are notoriously hard to examine here. But I think what we did see this week was that when you did these runoffs, this was from the Conservative Home website, between Sunak and Trust, Liz Trust, who we'll come on to later, was far ahead. But she did drop momentum. She went down by five points this week. So you can see why Team Sunak think there's something to be reassured by, that there is some sense that they can still get this. Although these polls are getting us a lot of bashing in Westminster, YouGov have never got a leadership election in the Tory party wrong. They've always been pretty accurate. Part of the problem with regular polling is too many political people in the samples. But what is very clear, some of the bad news for Rishi Sunak is throughout this election, he has been losing to basically any candidate you polled him against. The flip side of that is that that does tell you that it's not that Conservative members are absolutely wild for Liz Truss. It's a negative vote, which means that if Rishi Sunak can in the next couple of weeks either change perceptions of him or change perceptions of trust so it becomes a contest of two people who Tory members are really not enthused by but then they maybe start thinking about, you know, debate performance, who's more polished, who'll have more um, support about MPs. So you can see lots of ways that he could turn these polls around. Well, George, the early dividing line that's come in this phase is on the economy. And really, the whole debate now is going to be about taxes. And if it had been Rishi Sunak versus Penny Mordaunt, I think that the former Chancellor would be in a different place. But the fact is, he's taking a very different line to Liz Truss. Let's hear what he had to say about his pitch on the economy. The number one challenge we face here, the number one challenge is inflation. You guys all see it, right? All your bills every week, every month, they're going up and up and up. The most pressing economic priority for the new prime minister and the new government is to grip inflation. We cannot make it worse. Inflation is the enemy that makes everybody poorer. It erodes your savings. It erodes your living standards. It means that those of you that have mortgages will see your interest rates go up higher and higher. But George, the issue is Sunak is talking about change, but in terms of economic policy, he's not really changing at all. It's continuity with the Johnson government. And that's something Conservative members are pretty sceptical of. Yes, I mean, normally when you get rid of a party leader, you're looking for change, aren't you? And obviously there's going to be a change in style and character. Whoever wins the Tory leadership contest compared with Boris Johnson. And you could argue that Boris Johnson was removed not because of economic policy, because of questions of integrity and probity and all the rest of the other things we've discussed many times before. But nevertheless, there is a sort of worrying lack of change narrative, particularly in terms of the biggest issue in this campaign, as you said, Seb, which is the economy from Rishi Sunak. He obviously hopes that he can reassure people that, you know, he's the calm figure on the deck and he's going to steer us through the stormy waters of inflation. But nevertheless, as you say, you know, 
his economic record doesn't look particularly brilliant if you're a Tory activist. You know, what have you got? Inflation heading towards 11%, stagnant growth projected for next year, taxes at their highest level for 70 years. It doesn't look great. And although many people have, you know, criticised Liz Truss's economic policies, and Liz Truss had a bit of a pop at the FT this week for being part of a failed economic consensus over the last 20 years, along with the Treasury, of course. Nevertheless, some people might be prepared to give it a whirl, and that's Rishi Sunak's challenge, I think, is to make his economic message sound hopeful and changey, while at the same time, you know, trying to hold on to that sort of economic competence, which is really the heart of um, his pitch to the members. But this is the problem, George. It's sounding changey, but he's not changing anything. That We've seen him do two TV debates now, a launch event, and essentially on the economy, it's business as usual, and that he's not trying to change anything. He's talking about tax cuts in the future. What you heard in that clip at the top of the podcast was the way that Rishi Sunak wants to frame this debate, not about tax cuts and who's going to cut taxes when, but about who's going to win the Conservative Party the next election. And he says that's the question facing Tory party members. Now, the thing is, that may be the question that he wants Tory members to focus on, but it's not entirely clear that that is the question that Tory members are actually focusing on. And there's been some polling around suggesting that electability is seen as rather a unimportant issue as far as many of these Tory members are concerned. So Rishi Sunak needs to focus the um, selectorate's minds on the next election, which maybe may seem a long way away to some party members, but it's coming over the hill pretty quickly. And I think you're right. The lack of change narrative is a problem for Rishi Sunak in this contest. Well, Stephen, the question is, can he do that? And I think Paul Goodman, a Conservative home who listeners will know from the podcast before, wrote a very good column where he essentially said this contest is about what Sunak described as fairy tales. Do Tory party members want to be based in reality or do they want to be based in something fantasy in the future? Because if it is something fantasy, then you could look at the kind of unfunded tax cuts Liz Truss is putting forward. But if you want to be based on the kind of sound money principles that traditionally the party has always guided towards, then Sunak would be the obvious person. But the polling, as we were saying earlier, doesn't suggest they're that interested in what he has to say. I think the problem with Sunak's approach is that the hey guys, I know you don't agree with me on on economic policy, but I'm a winner, so why don't you just suck it up? Is the strategy Ken Clark tried three times in 1997, 2001, 2005. He lost all three times. And, and I mean, in 2001, when he lost among members, which is obviously the most useful precedent, the Conservative Party had lost really badly twice. So it's it's hard to see why a party which has won four times in a row is going to be more alive to that possibility. I think the other problem he has, you know, I was doing the, my first association ring around of this contest and several people said to me, you know, several Tory members said, well, yes, I think he's better on TV, but I think if we go into an election with either very high taxes or cuts in public spending, we'd say, well, we'll lose doing that anyway. I think for him, the better focus would be, and you saw it a bit, you know, in, in the interview that that clip is taken from, is him focusing on the fact that Liz Truss's plans would mean interest rates going up. Now, yes, lots of Conservative members have savings, so they would be winners from interest rates in some ways, but they also wouldn't enjoy it in others. And so I think probably the big focus for him has got to be on explaining why it is that Truss's economic policies are not the like way to Tory victory. 
But the biggest problem, George, that Rishi Sunak has got is time. And in this contest, there's really just two weeks left before those ballot papers land for Sunak to start turning things around. And it's quite odd. The papers are going out. You'd expect Tory members, the sort of 150,000 or so people who would decide the next PM. They can vote, but they can also change their vote later. But the view I think you and I have picked up from inside Team Sunak is he has to smash it over the next two weeks. And if he doesn't, then he's lost. Yeah, that's definitely true. The ballot papers start landing on doorsteps on the 1st of August. So that's what little more than 10 days away. So he's really got to make an impact. Yes, it's true that you've got a few weeks to fill in your ballot paper, but most people fill them in pretty quickly after they arrive. Yes, it's true you can change your mind and vote online later. And the Tory party will only count your second vote. But to be honest, how many Tory members are actually going to do that in practice? So yes, I mean, it's absolutely vital for Rishi Sunak to build momentum over the next 10 days and start landing messages, start landing messages on policy. And Stephen mentioned interest rates. It's got to be more than just about a sort of project fear about you know, the dangers of Liz Truss's policies. He's got to offer a new alternative. I expect we'll hear a lot more about the opportunities of Brexit from Rishi Sunak over the coming days. And also he'll be hoping to get some big name endorsements as well. Some talk about whether he might be able to persuade over half of the parliamentary Conservative Party to come out and endorse him. That might give him some sort of extra bounce with the Tory electorate. But yeah, he's got to get moving. And the debate with Liz Truss on the BBC on Monday night, I think will be really important. That's up in Stoke-on-Trent. And you know, Sunak, I think, has grown into this campaign. He's become more relaxed as it's gone on. I think it works to his advantage that he's actually the underdog in this contest. Sometimes you see Rishi Sunak and he can look a little bit brittle. And I think if he'd been the front runner, he would have been very, very cautious. And I think some of that brittleness would have come through. The fact he's not, and he's the underdog, I think that suits him. And he's grown more confident, a bit more combative in these debates. So I think it's going to be a really interesting debate on Monday night. Well, let's just hear a clip from the last debate. So those who think Sunak is just going to try and sail through this should listen to this moment from the debate that happened on Sunday evening. Uh, my question is for Liz, actually. And uh, Liz, in your, in your past, you've been both a Liberal Democrat and a Remainer. I was just wondering which one you regretted most. <laughs> I am somebody who was not born into the Conservative Party. I went to school in Paisley and Leeds. I went to a comprehensive school. But my fundamental belief and the reason I am a Conservative is I saw kids at my school being let down in Leeds. I saw them not get the opportunities, not get the proper educational standards that you might have got at your school, Rishi. Well, Stephen, when you hear that, you've obviously got, first of all, it was a slightly sort of mic drop moment when he did that. And you can hear the awkwardness in the studio. But you can also hear the almost class dividing lines there between Liz Truss making an inference of the fact that she soon went to Winchester and the fact that she made this active decision to sort of go towards the Conservative Party. Looking forward to Monday's TV debate, how do you think that's going to go for Sunak? One of the interesting things about, about Rishi Sunak's debate performance is, you know, is he is actually quite combative, which makes for great telly. And he does obviously need to find some way of eroding Truss's advantage. But there are lots of reasons, and there's a very good piece by you and George explaining some of the reasons why this Truss was better in the second debate than the first. But I think the interesting thing about that line is it did sort of bring the best out of his opponent in the, it gave her an opportunity to do a very polished husting spiel. And also because she then attacked him on China, a substantive policy issue, it made him look small. And I think then that is the big challenge for him is he obviously does need to find a way of taking lumps out of her, which he will presumably 
do on Monday's debate, but he needs to do it without making himself look mean. Uh, so it's a very tricky line for him to thread. He needs both more, more of that clip, but also less of that clip. Well, finally, George, you've covered quite a few Tory leadership contests over the years. Given where we're at now, do you think Rishi Sunak can and is going to make it through to the end and become the next prime minister? I think he definitely can make it through, but I would be hesitant to say he will. I think it all depends on the mindset of the party membership, to be honest. There'll be plenty of opinion polls between now and when the ballot papers go out not Tory members, but of the wider electorate, asking which of these two candidates is going to make you more likely to vote Conservative for the next election. And I suspect, although that's supposed to be proven, that those polls will say that Rishi Sunak is more likely to be an election winner for the Conservative Party. Then the membership has a choice of whether to go with their heads, which might tell them to vote for the election, more likely election winner, Rishi Sunak, or with their hearts for Liz Trust, someone who is basically singing the kind of songs that they'd like to hum along to. So it's a fascinating contest, and I think anyone who tries to call it at this stage would be uh, very reckless. George and Stephen, thank you very much. Well, if Rishi Sunak is the favourite among Tory MPs, then Liz Truss is the favourite among Tory members. After a slow start to her campaign, the Foreign Secretary gained momentum, particularly after the second TV debate, where she leapfrogged Penny Morden, the Trade Minister, to become the other candidate in the final shortlist. If the polls are right, then this leadership race should be a walk in the park for Truss, given her big advantage outside of Westminster. Much of that is based on her policy platform. Speaking to the BBC, Truss said she would rip up the UK's economic orthodoxy advocated by many, including this very newspaper. Keep taxes low, do the supply-side reforms, get growth going. That is the way to increase tax revenues. So what I want to do is increase tax revenues by growing the economy, not choke off growth by raising taxes. My tax cuts will decrease inflation. We have had a consensus of the Treasury, of economists, of the Financial Times, of other, other outlets peddling a particular type of economic policy for the last 20 years. Well, Katie Balls, welcome to Payne's Politics, an absolute delight to have you on. Let's begin with why Liz Truss is so far ahead of Rishi Sunak among party members. We know it was a very tight race amongst MPs this week. What is it about her that appeals? Well, as you said in your introduction, Liz Truss has always been more popular amongst the Tory grassroots than her parliamentary colleagues. And there are, in fact, plenty of parliamentary colleagues who take an anyone but trust stance in the leadership contest and generally have not taken to her brand of politics. But it's very popular with Tory activists. If you go to Conservative Party conference, it tends to be Liz Truss uh, fringe speeches, which have cues going around the doors. And I think it's a combination of things. I think the fact that she is in very much in a way seen as a true blue, she uh, never misses an opportunity to talk about free markets or low taxes. And I think that she is seen as a, a straight talking politician who doesn't particularly compromise on her beliefs. And that plays well to the base. I also think when you're looking at some of the younger supporters she has, they like the fact that she 
uh, you know, uses things like Instagram. They like the fact that she quotes Destiny's Child in speeches, even though some of her colleagues take it as evidence that they believe that she is a lightweight politician. I think the different mediums she uses bring in different age groups to her message. I think she's one of the first politicians to have memes about them, which weren't at the time complimentary. If you think about pork markets or this is a disgrace on cheese, there is a sense that she is a character. And obviously, she's very strong on particular policy areas, as we'll get into in a moment. But I've always got the sense with my interactions with Liz Truss that she sort of doesn't take herself wholly seriously. Like, you know, you went through this whole period when she was International Trade Secretary, where she was photographed, Instagram, every single place she went. And you always got that sense that maybe it wasn't entirely serious. I don't think she's particularly grand in in terms of her behaviour. I think that what you touched on is why I think opinion is so divided on Liz Truss, which is to some people, they look at what she's doing and they think that the fact she's being Instagram post, even as international trade secretary, I think posing with Union Jack umbrellas. I think some of her more traditional colleagues thought this was embarrassing and this should not be how you're flying around trade, but it also meant at the same time, Liz Truss was on the front of most newspapers including some international press, and looks as though she's flying the flag for Britain. So that is where she she can divide opinion. I also think in, in just in terms of her mannerisms, as you say, I mean, I think she's always probably the cheapest cabinet minister historically to take to lunch um, because she just wants a burger. And, and it also leads to her politics in the sense she is someone who believes in freedom in many ways. I think she was personally quite incensed when you had, you know, rules bringing in about how pink you could have a burger. Those things actually are a sign of her politics too. Well, Chris, let's bring you in now. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. And I think the key policy thing Liz Truss has put front and centre is economics. As we heard at the beginning there, she's trying to take a very different approach from where Rishi Sunak was, that uh, essentially his leadership bid is everything as it is now, not trying to change government spending or taxes, just trying to keep control on inflation. But Liz Truss has taken a very different approach. And on that Radio 4 interview this week, she quoted Patrick Minford, the very sort of libertarian Thatcherite economist saying that we need to start cutting taxes now to release demand. What do you make of Truss's economic manifesto? Well, so I think it's actually really interesting. So it's all based around tax cuts. So, but she wants tax cuts to do a lot. So, first of all, she wants tax cuts essentially to protect the UK economy against uh, a recession that she's been predicting that we're slipping into. So that's a traditional sort of Keynesian view that you cut taxes, people spend more, that will help the economy. She also thinks that tax cuts will have a supply side boost for the economy in the longer term. So this is more more sort of Nigel Lawson rather than Thatcherite view, I think, there, where you, you cut taxes, particularly corporate taxes, and companies will invest more and that increases the ability of the economy to grow in the medium term. And she thinks that will be so strong that actually revenues might go up rather than down when you cut taxes, which is in fact harks back a little bit to Arthur Laffer and some of the big debates that people were having in the 80s, which has really been settled in some sense for big tax cuts, not in Liz Truss's favour, that we don't think that tax cuts raise revenues except in the most unusual circumstances. But I think, how does she say it's going to reduce inflation? Well, that's because she thinks the supply side potential of the tax cuts is so great that inflation comes down. That's what she suggested on the radio. If you talk to her 
informal advisors, who is not Patrick Minford, but some other economists, they will say that actually, in some ways, you slightly misspoke in that interview. The real sort of thinking behind this is, even though tax cuts are inflationary, and that's where I think the more serious people behind her are thinking, that of course then raises the question, what does the tax cuts do? Then then tax cuts are really only about redistribution, long-term public finances, and what efficiency gain you might have. And that's where I think then the questions all start to be raised about how effective will they be. Is there a sense, Chris, that if you pursued the kind of ideas Liz Truss has put forward, like obviously, as I've come to with Katie, they are popular amongst Tory party members and certainly many Conservative Party MPs. Is there a danger that this ends up leading to a rise in interest rates? Because that strikes me as something that would not be very popular with Tory party members, particularly those with mortgages and have become used to very low interest rates over the past decade. Oh, I'm not so sure, Seb. I mean, lots of Tory party members are quite old and will have paid off their mortgages and will have Very money money in the bank, delighted for higher interest rates. So I think it's a highly, very well targeted to Tory party members. And actually people behind the scenes are saying very much, yeah, higher interest rates, looser fiscal policy, tighter monetary policy. That is just fine. That is exactly what we want. That's what we think is a better balance for the economy. So even though that means that they don't think the tax cuts would actually protect the UK from a recession or increase growth through higher spending, they would raise interest rates. And then the key crucial thing is that she thinks it will have a big effect on the efficiency of the UK economy, particularly through higher investment, higher long-term growth, which is how she's harking back to the 1980s period and the perception that tax cuts actually improved the total underpinnings and the workings of the economy, not just handing out a load of money to your supporters. Well, Katie, it's not just this issue about tax cuts that Liz Truss is trying to put some clear water with the Johnson government. You interviewed her in The Spectator quite recently, and she talked about taking some of the money spent during the COVID pandemic and putting it into a long-term bond. And so there are actually quite a lot of ideas behind Liz Truss's platform, more so, I think, than it's fair to say than what Penny Morden was putting forward. Based on your conversations with MPs and what have you this week, we know more MPs went for Rishi Sunak, but there's an awful lot of people including cabinet ministers in Boris Johnson's government who look at Liz Truss and think, actually, that's more my kind of politics. Yes, and I think throughout Liz Truss's career, she has been dismissed in a way or viewed as less serious than some of her colleagues. I think the turning point was when Theresa May did not win that large majority in 2017, because had she done, the expectation was that Liz Truss would be sacked from cabinet. And it meant that Theresa May was too weak to sack certain people, so Liz Truss said a javid. And I think from then on in, you can see that Liz Truss was much more bold when it came to how she dealt with the various briefs. And I think that was particularly clear in trade and then the foreign office. And it has caused some of her colleagues, I think, to look at her again. I think when it comes to her policy programme, she has done something quite clever in the sense that she has somehow managed to pitch herself as a change candidate because she is promising a, a different policy when it comes to the economy. But at the same time, she's also taking up some of the votes for loyalty, something Rishi Sunak is not getting in terms of being more supportive of Boris Johnson. I think the combination of those factors combined with the fact, as you say, it is more, I think, of a red meat policy program does mean that more MPs are looking to her. And I think it's particularly because 
one of the other things about her politics that she has in common with Boris Johnson. Now, it's not necessarily good to have too much in common with Boris Johnson at the moment. Um, but she, she, is, um, she is an optimist and she's very patriotic. And it means that I think that even though some people are a bit sceptical, she can really do all the things she wants, particularly on the supply side, if you think about how tricky this party is to govern with the majority of 80. I think that she does seem to have a more positive vision than Rishi Sunak at the moment, who partly just because of where he is positioning himself, sounds a bit more like to MPs that he is saying no to things and saying yes. Now, one of the things that Liz Truss has done, knowingly or otherwise, is try to bring back that spirit of Margaret Thatcher. And this was actually a debating point when she spoke to Nick Robinson on the BBC this week. I will bulldoze through, frankly, the things that need to get done. Well, and that, that is my... Bulldoze, they're saying toughness, they're the, the, great, and they see you dress and model yourself on Margaret Thatcher. Because you're saying to people, I, I, I don't, I don't accept that. I am my own person, Nick. It's just you a know, coincidence. I'm, I'm from a, a series of photographs. I'm from a, you know, I'm from a very different background. I grew up in Yorkshire. I went to a comprehensive school. I am somebody who has worked all my life to get things done. Katie, when you listen to that, though, there was obviously that meme that went around after the debate of Liz Truss dressed in exactly the same outfit as Margaret Thatcher was before her 1979 election night, I think it was. And obviously, there is a little bit of trying to model on Margaret Thatcher, even if she does deny it. And I'm sure that does also speak to many Tory party activists who still regard that era as the golden days of the party. Do you think that's fair? Or do you think her sort of pushback is that people, it's maybe a little bit sexist? So I think that ultimately it cannot be denied that at certain times Liz Truss plays into the Margaret Thatcher comparisons. I mean, just look at the tank photo op a few months ago when she was on a visit. I think that very clearly had a parallels with the, with the Thatcher photo. So I think it, it is something that happens. I think probably the point she's trying to make is that she's not a walking, living version of Margaret Thatcher. I think she gets uh, fashioned by some various figures, actually, including her daughters. So, it, so it's not all looking at Margaret Thatcher's old looks. But certainly, I, I do think if you look at uh, her positioning, I think this trust is quite happy to be compared with Margaret Thatcher a lot of the time. I think that if you look at the Tory party, given the fact that Rishi Sunak is spending most of this contest saying that he will be the true Thatcherite, I think this idea that, it, that she doesn't want the comparison is, is a bit off the mark. And finally, Chris, when we have a look at her platform, obviously the most sticky point, as we heard earlier in the podcast, is her support for Remain, the 2016 referendum. And the Conservative Party is still very much the Brexit party in the sense that members of majority Brexit, I think majority of MPs are pro-Brexit in the sense of getting it done. And she's had quite a lot of backwards and forwards over this. But I think it's clear she would take quite a hard line on Brexit and also a hard line on the economy. And it would be quite a tonal shift, I think, from the kind of government Rishi Sunak would lead. In some ways, it's a um, continuity of Boris Johnson. So the optimism that Katie was talking about, I think, is absolutely there. But it is, I think, a very fine line between being optimistic and patriotic about the things that the UK and the UK economy can do and being deluded about the things and the problems that the UK and the UK economy faces both generally and with Brexit. So it is that very difficult line. And if you start to be seen as being out of touch because you just keep saying optimistic things and things will get better and it's all great and the public thinks it's actually it is terrible and Bank of England is sticking up interest rates, we're in recession, inflation is moving towards 12% and I can't afford my gas bills. That sort of upbeat talk doesn't seem 
to be appropriate for the times that we face. So it will be a very difficult line for Liz Truss, I think, to navigate along. And finally, Katie, looking at this part of the race here, we obviously know it's either going to be Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss at this point. The polling, the bookmakers, they would also say it's going to be Liz Truss. What's your reading and what's your sense of the race? And also, how do you think Liz Truss is going to do in those crucial TV debates? Because we've really just got two weeks that matter in this contest before the ballot papers land. So speaking to supporters of Liz Truss, you know, months ago, and we didn't know if there would be a leadership contest, but it was definitely a possibility. The general expectation was that if she can make it to the membership, they thought she had a really good chance. In fact, would probably be prime minister. But it would be the parliamentary rounds that'd be very tricky for her. And we saw that. She slowly but surely progressed through the rounds. There were some days where it was quite touch and go, I think, because the right of the party was split between different candidates. There were some who just, until they were forced into it, were just not willing to accept that a Remainer was now a Brexiteer. But she has managed to make the final two. And in a way, I think that means almost the hardest part of her bid to be prime minister, I think, is done. I still think that there is a chance for this to go wrong, though. And that leans into your point on the debates. It's quite clear that where Liz Truss struggles more than Rishi Sunak is on communications, on media performances. And I think to a degree on connecting with the public. Now, there's lots of people who don't like Rishi Sunak at the moment, but I think that he, we have seen, if you think back to that whatever it takes speech during the pandemic, that he can connect. And I think Liz Truss has shown that she is a minister who can work in lots of departments, but she's not had that big test yet. The first debate, I think, actually set nerves amongst her supporters. She polled the worst in the immediate polling of, of the general public. And therefore, I think Rishi Sunak's dream scenario would be multiple debates, you know, several a week. Now that's not not happening, but I think a week to performance and also just if there is, uh, you know, a polling that suggests that Rishi Sunak would do much better in a general election, I think that could be enough to give some uh, members pause for thought. I completely agree with that. And I think we'll see when those big YouGov uh, advanced surveys come out that look towards the next election. I think if they're really much in favour of Rishi Sunak, that could certainly shift the dial. But we'll come back to all that later. Katie and Chris, thank you so much for joining. And that's it for this week's episode of Payne's Politics. If you like the podcast, then we'd recommend subscribing. You know where to find us, all the usual channels to receive episodes as soon as they're released. We also do enjoy a positive review and a nice rating. Payne's Politics was presented by me, Sebastian Payne, and produced by Anna Dedder and Howie Shannon. The sound engineers are Breen Turner and Yang Sigsworth. Until next time, thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.